0: We've been in the middle of a sermon series on David, and today I just want to cover some, some really amazing truths about David. We're going to cover a couple of chapters, and actually, we'll only cover a chapter and a half, really. And, it's, and we're in, in 2 Samuel, chapter 5. I'll paraphrase chapter 5, and then we're going to get into half of chapter 6. If you're following along with me and you want some additional reading this week, if you're taking notes and you want like some additional reading this week, I'd love for you to, to grab hold of 1 Chronicles, chapter 13. You can read chapter 14. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like extra, but really it's chapter 13, chapter 15, and chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles. So 1 Chronicles gives us Additional information to what we're reading about today. Amen? And so we find uh, today we're going to be talking about David and the city of Zion. The city of Zion. Now, what, what is Zion? Zion is Jerusalem, the beautiful city of God. Jerusalem, of which is said in God's word that we should pray for Jerusalem and blessed will be those who love her, who love Jerusalem and have a heart for Jerusalem because the Bible says that God has put his name in Jerusalem forevermore, that God will rule the world from Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will. The Bible says that the new Jerusalem in heaven will come down and from there we will gather to see our God and our Savior King. Amen? Amen. And so Jerusalem's a big deal. Now David, in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, you see things are just going well for him. We see that, that Saul has died. He died in battle, had nothing to do with David. David was completely in a different place. Seven years has passed. Now Saul's youngest son that was placed in as king has also died. He's been assassinated. And we know that Abner... Saul's second in command that was making these moves and doing these things. He's also died. So now everyone that was causing any kind of trouble or turmoil for David has been removed by the hand of God, by the providence of God. And so David finds himself now with all of the elders of Israel because at this point he had not had all the support of Israel. He had only had the support of Judah which was the southern kingdom where he was from, the southern tribe, excuse me. Now all of Israel comes to him and says, you know what? We recognize that God's hand is with you. We also recognize that it was you who's led us this many years. Even when Saul was king, it was you who was leading us into battle and into victory. So we're ready to follow you. And they anoint him king. They make a covenant with him that he should be their king. And things couldn't be any better. You ever had that time in your life where just life is good? You ever feel that way? Some of us, some of us don't know how to handle good times because we always feel like there's bad news around the corner, right? Some of us just always live worried. If you're anything like my mom, my mom always lives worried. And she, that's the way she shows love. And you cannot call mom without her saying, I'm Mijo, I'm so worried about you. I'm like, what are you worried about? But she just finds things to worry about. I said, mom, life is good. I know, but that's when the enemy comes. Isn't that the truth though? When things are good, the enemy will wait for you to take your eyes off the prize and see if he can blindside you. You know, it's, it's been said that the punch that knocks you out Most boxers say that is the punch you don't see coming. And so David needs to be very careful right now because chapter five tells us that everything is going his way. But he has something very special in his heart. He has an idea. And the idea is to to establish a new capital for all of Israel. Now, why would this be important? Because up until now, he's been in Hebron, and he's been in the southern part of Israel, which is in his home tribe of Judah. He's been in Judah. He spent seven years as the king of Judah, seven and a half years, but not the king of all of Israel, which are the other 12 tribes. So if you were king, wouldn't you think, shouldn't I... Establish my capital in a place where everyone feels included, where everyone feels like they have a seat at the table, and not just my countrymen, not just my family members, not just where I grew up, but I want everyone to have a seat at the table. And so he thinks to himself, about Jerusalem, at least that's what some scholars believe. But I happen to believe that it was more than just political maneuvering. I believe that it was the spirit of the living God drawing his heart towards Jerusalem. Amen? Let me ask you a question. How did David know to go towards Jerusalem? Nowhere in God's word does it tell us that God said, you know what, Jerusalem's going to be super special for me, so go conquer it for me and go establish it now as your capital. It doesn't say that. But I want you to realize that when you're in God's will and you're doing things God's way and life is good, God is leading you. And even the things you don't know he's doing, he's doing. And you look back over your life and you say, wow, I had no idea. Come on. Anyone been there before where well, you look back over your life and you think, I thought I was just walking, but now I know I was walking with God. I know that he was directing my steps. I know that God was involved in it because there's no way in the world I could have done that good. Man, Lord, you're awesome. Thank you for hooking it up. Amen. And so this is what's happening in David's life. I want you to take a take consideration of all that's transpired in David's life, and how many things he got right. It's like he knew he should do that. How many decisions were decisions of wisdom? How did that happen? That's what happens when you revere the Lord and invite him into your presence and let him lead your life. Intuitively, you're just on the spot. Intuitively, you're just in the zone. It's like an athlete. Everything goes in when you shoot it up, because God is with you. And so life is good. We know that in chapter 5 he goes against the Philistines. He inquires of the Lord and the Lord says, go, I'm going to give them to you. And he destroys them. Not destroys all of them, but destroys that army. He wins the victory. They come against him again. He asks of the Lord. The Lord says, I don't want you to go out the same way you did last time. This time you're going to go around and you're going to wait for my signal and I will give you the victory. And he does just as the Lord says and it happens that he wins. He happens to take some of the Philistines' gods or their little trinkets that are made of, well, they're not trinkets, but they're made of gold. They're, they're, they're useless in terms of there's no other god than God Jehovah. He's going to melt them down and use them for, for, for money, right? And, uh, and maybe he gets a thought that at least this is what some of the scholars say that the Philistines might want retaliation and they might want to destroy the Ark of the Covenant. So he says, we should go get the Ark. But maybe it's because God has a special place in David's heart. You know what I do know? The Bible says that up until then, no one in Israel had concerned themselves really for the Ark, especially the King Saul. Think about this with me for a second. We've been talking about Saul for some time now because Saul has been alive for at least 15 years of David's wandering and going and killing Goliath and doing all of these things. Where has the Ark of the Covenant been? I'll tell you where it's been. It's been in a small country town in the south. Small country town in the south of Israel, in Judah. And here it has been. And then David concerns himself after the Lord and says, should we not? Go get the Lord? Now let me ask you this. Was the Lord only where the ark was? No. But the ark represented the manifest presence of the glory of the living God. Because God told Abraham, I want you to build me an ark. And the ark is going to represent my throne. And I will dwell among my people. How many of you know that God has always had a heart to dwell among us? God has always had a heart for you. God has had a heart for your family to be in your home, to be at your table, to be in your thoughts and in your heart. This is what makes David special from every other king. Every other king wanted what God provided. David wanted God. He says, I don't want just the provision. I want the provider. I want you, Lord. This is what makes him so different from Saul. When Saul is rejected, he says to God, don't take my position. Don't embarrass me. Lord, let me continue to reign over the kingdom. When David is rebuked by God, he says, Lord, I don't care about any of this. Just don't take your presence from me. Don't take your presence from me. And so this is interesting because this ark represents the presence, the manifest presence of the living God. How so, pastor? What do you mean the presence of the living God? God says, I will dwell among you. And so this ark would be marched out into battle. And when God was present with them, they would defeat their foe. But if you're human, you tend to forget the most important things. How about you? Have you ever forgotten the most important things? How many of us ever forget important things? I do all the time. Like one time I forgot my kids at Bucky's. Oh, they were they were younger. And uh, I pulled up and I told them to go to the restroom. They went to the restroom. I filled up with gas. I went in, came out. Uh, I got something really quick. I got in the car. I was talking to my brother and I took off. And they said, they looked and they thought, um, Evie believed greater, or which one was it? Maybe it was Honey that believed greater for him. He said, oh, he's just pulling up to come get us. And I think the other one said, no, he's leaving. (laughs) You know how easily dad forgets. And so they saw me get right there in Temple, or is it Temple? Yeah, it's Temple. He saw me get on the highway on 35 and just disappear. And honey had just gotten a phone, so he, go, he goes, do you have your phone? He goes, no, it's in the truck. <laughs> now what do we do? Well, we'll wait. I'm talking to my brother, and I'm just driving along, and I'm telling him, because I came from his house in, in Dallas, the Metroplex, and I said, man, I can't, I can't help but feel like I forgot something at your house. <laughs> I don't know, man, if I forgot something, I don't know, if I forgot my boots or something, just, just keep it for me. I don't know, hopefully I didn't forget my wallet there. And I said, No, I just paid for gas. And I'm like, What is it? What is it? He goes, This is what he says to me You have the most important thing. You have your kids. And I go, What? My kids? Oh, and he goes, Chris, it's been like 15, 20 minutes, man. What in the world, dude? Can I tell you we're prone to forget? This is why God says over and over and over. And you say, well, how did it turn out? They're here, aren't you? Aren't they? (laughs) What I'm telling you is that we're prone to forget. This is why in the Old Testament, the Bible says over and over, remember the Lord your God. Remember, remember. And he has them them pull out rocks and establish altars and do things that we might remember. And the Ark of the Covenant is a way to remind them that God wants to dwell in their presence, But when they forget how important God is, and they think that this this ark is all they need. Basically, I don't need to reverence God. I don't need to respect God. I don't need to live by his word or reverence him or care for him. All I need is for him to go out and to help me win victories. They lose the most important battle, and the ark is captured by the Philistines. And so 70 years before David comes to power, this has happened. And the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 6, listen to me very closely, the Ark of the Lord had been in the Philistines' territory for seven months. For 7, but you say, how in the world, if the Ark of the Covenant is so powerful, and it's the representation of the man of his presence of the living God, how did they get a hold of it? God wanted Israel to know, that my presence cannot be taken for granted or, or wielded like you, would, like you would do a genie. All you have to do is have the genie, and whoever has the genie has the power. No, 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 no. You reverence me, you, you respect me, and you understand that to have my presence is a privilege. It's a privilege. And it's not the ark, it's my presence. It's my presence. And so the, this is what's interesting because they get this ark, and after seven months, they can't wait to give it back. Why? Because they take it to Ashdod first, and they put it before their god, Dagon, and they're in, the, in, their, in their worship area where, I don't know, some kind of place where they had a statue of their god. They came and put the ark, because the ark's not very big. You're talking about 40-something Inches by 27 by 27, round about. I mean, and so the ark's not very big, but they have this huge statue made of gold or something of, of this of this evil God. He's a false God. And every morning he's on his face. Every morning he's on his face. And he's standing up and he's on his face. And he's standing up and he's on his face. Because every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And then the plagues start coming and they start getting tumors and the rats are everywhere and there's devastation happening so they move it from Ashdod to Gath and from Gath to Urkron, and they, they don't know what to do with it because it's just wrecking shop. The ark of the Lord, amen? And they're like, what do we do with this thing? And can I tell you, just to really kind of uh, be emphatic that way you'll never forget this, that They have the ark, and those tumors, scholars say, are hemorrhoids that they're having. And they're so bad. Uh, I mean, let's just say, let's just leave it there. Wow. Kind of puts it in perspective. God's going, no, no, you're not going to mess with me. And I'm going to remind the whole region who I am. And so they decide this. They decide to put the ark on a cart. Read with me on here. Read with me. Now, then, get a new cart. Get it ready, and have two cows, and have them calved, and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pin them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it onto the cart. What is this? What are they doing? See, the Philistines are saying, we're about to give away something that that we don't want to give away. We don't want to give this back and admit defeat. And we're also going to give them a, 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 what would you call that? An offering. Saying we're sorry for taking it. But we're not completely convinced that this is of God. It could just be a, a circumstantial. Anyone ever feel like that? Things start happening in your life and you're like, I'm wondering if this is God or not. Anyway, They're thinking that, so this is what they come up with. They said, we're gonna get this cart, we're gonna get cows, not oxen. They've never pulled anything, so they have no training. They have no idea of having gone anywhere. They've never been yoked together even, so they're not used to pulling together. We're gonna give it every possible obstacle. They have calves, but we're gonna pin up their calves, meaning when a cow has calves, they don't wanna leave those calves. We're gonna put the ark on that, And if they take off towards towards Israel, we know this is God. Guess what the cows did? They went straight towards Israel. They get to Israel, and the people of the Lord are super pumped and they get excited. And this is what they do the Bible says they call the Levites, and then the Levites come over and they get the cart, they get the, the, the ark off of the cart. How do they get the ark off of the cart? Well, the ark has two poles because there's rings on each corner of this box. And these poles, these acacia poles, go in there and four Levites, they're priests, they carry the ark on their shoulders and they move it and they put it on a rock. And then they take the people of that town, take the cart, and they take the cows and they sacrifice it to the Lord. Can I tell you, this is so like wrong. They shouldn't have done that. But can I also tell you that God is rich in mercy? And they're so overcome by the fact that the Lord's ark is back. They just want to honor God. And God says, absolutely, it's okay. It's okay. So they honor the Lord and they sacrifice these cows. You say, why is this wrong? Because you should never sacrifice female cows. They should never have been yoked together. They should never have had any of kind of yoke or anything on them. They should never be sacrificed outside the tabernacle. I mean, they've broken everything here. But this is the thing with the ark. It's supposed to be reverenced. So you can do this ceremonial stuff and share your heart with me, but what you cannot do is disrespect it. Because in your enthusiasm to worship God, you might have a lot of spirit. You have to worship him in truth too. Because Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when those who worship God must worship how? In spirit and in truth. So while they had spirit, while they had enthusiasm, while they had excitement, they forgot the truth that you are not to touch the ark, you are not to look inside the ark, and you are not to just sit and stare at the ark. It's supposed to be reverenced. And so what is inside the ark, by the way? Well, let's talk about the ark. The ark is made up of a top solid lid of gold. On that lid of gold, you have two two angels kneeling down with their wings outstretched. My knee's been hurt, so I cannot kneel down. But imagine me kneeling down. Okay? And this was called the mercy seat where God was to be enthroned. Now, why the mercy seat? Because after all, God is rich in mercy. And if it wasn't for God's mercies, not not a one of us sinners would be here. Not a one of us sinners would be here. And so God extends his mercy. But what was inside the ark? Now, the box of the ark was made of acacia wood. It wasn't solid gold. It was acacia wood overlaid with gold, signifying, I believe, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That is what? Man and God. Divine yet human. But let's keep going. Inside the ark, there were three items. What were those items? Anyone? Manna, a gold... Vessel of manna where God provided in the desert for his people when they came out and had nothing to eat. He fed them from heaven. God is your provider. He's reminding you over and over and over and his provision is under his mercy. Notice how the mercy seat is over all of these three things because his provision is under his mercy. You are provided for because God is merciful. So listen, don't get it twisted. You don't have to earn God's mercy. God is merciful in spite of the fact you cannot earn it. But let's keep going. What else is in there? You have the Ten Commandments. God is protector. God is protector because the law is meant to protect us. You might say all kinds of things about these three things, but the law is not there To kill our joy. The law is there to introduce us to God. To show us that we'll never make it without a Savior. Which leads to the third thing. Aaron's rod that bloomed. That budded. It was a dead piece of wood that came to life. Can I tell you? Jesus Christ was dead. And he resurrected from the grave came to life so that you and I might have life and be resurrected through the power, the same power that raised him from the dead. What I'm sharing with you is God is your provider, he's your protector, he's your priest. You might say he's your king, he's your prophet, he's your priest. We can draw all of these correlations, but this is how amazing this ark is. And David says, let's bring it back. Well, 70 years ago when it came back, the people of Beth Shemesh, Go back to uh, verse 19. Beth Shemesh, verse 20. They said, who can stand in the presence of the Lord? Well, they decide to look in the box. How many of you know that's not a good idea? When they look in the box, people start dying. Some scholars say there were 70 70 people that died of 50,000. Others say, no, there were 50,000 that died. 70 were in that close proximity. But people started to die. Why? Because God is saying, when, when my manifest presence comes in, you need to understand what I meant by the first three commandments. Have no other gods before me, Right? Do not make a false image of any God, including me. That means you don't worship me according to what you think. You worship me according to what I am and who I am. Amen? This is important because so many times as humans, we think, well, I think, come on now. Well, I feel because we are prone to try to make God lesser so that we can deal with him. You're too big, God. You're too awesome, God. You're too great, and you're scary, so I want to dumb you down. That wherefore I can be buddies with you. Isn't that what people do all the time? My God wouldn't do this. My God wouldn't say that was wrong. My God, where did you get that? Well, I made it up. Don't make up for yourself a false God. Second commandment. Worship me based on my truth. I've said, don't look in. Don't disrespect my presence. And so they begin to die. Chapter 7 of 1 Samuel says, So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark. These were the Levites. And they took it to the house of Abinadab. It was there on a hill. And they consecrated an elder or a priest of the tribe of Levite to look after it. And they left it there until David decided, and he inquired, shouldn't we inquire of the Lord? Shouldn't we bring him to Jerusalem? Do you see how God leads him? God will lead you where he needs you. Write that down. God will lead you where he needs you. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David again brought Together all of the able men now we're going 70 years into the into the future The ark has been in that little country town because people are scared of it They got it back from the philistines, but they didn't know what to do with it. Saul ignored it David is full-blown king. He has jerusalem now first thing he thinks about is god I need to bring god into the city of jerusalem and so he gets the people together and he's 30,000 of them and all of his men went to bala in what? Judah, you go, what is Bala in Judah? This is Kariath-Jerahim. This is the same town, okay? And they get the ark, that same area, and they decide, listen to what the Bible says. I want you to to go go down to verse 3. They decide to set the ark of God on a new cart, and they brought it from the house of of Abinadab, which was on the hill, right? Uzzah and Halayel, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it, and David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord with what? With all sorts of instruments. These aren't instruments that we use, but in the time they used them. All sorts of instruments. Now, I'm going to share a couple of highlights with you. And I have to hurry because we're running out of time. But but up until now, the Bible speaks very little about instruments. The Bible didn't speak about Jerusalem either. Not in that way. We do know that that David saw things not everybody saw. Why? Why? because of his heart for God. And I truly believe that we're coming into those times again where men and women of a God will receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and will see things that they hadn't seen before. What do I mean by that? Because when you walk with God and God begins to show up in his manifest presence and begins to indwell his church and move in his church, then miraculous, glorious things begin to happen. And I see this happening already in the church. You have certain churches that are falling away and going into apostasy. You have some who they feel like the, the heat is too hot in the kitchen and they're getting out of the kitchen. But you have other churches, and this is what I'm calling us to, church, to walk closer with god to revere the heavenly god to believe for greater to say lord we need to inquire of you shouldn't we bring god into our midst shouldn't what we do depend fully on god and god first instead of just doing things just to do them this is what david does and as he does this i want you to understand what's going on though Everything's been going good. He has this great idea, doesn't he? I'm going to highlight a couple of more things. Number two, it was a great idea. We're about to find out it turned bad quick. 30,000 guys. This is just the many brought together. I believe there were more people there that day. So you have thousands, tens of thousands of people gathered. You have musicians. I mean, he is throwing a party. People are grilling fajitas. The churros are in the grease. I mean, everything is going, right? And some of you are going, what in the world? He just made it a Mexican party. Well, they're good. And so he's got all this stuff happening. And he has these two young men that are priests. How do I know they're priests? Because they're Abinadab's sons. And they've been caring for the ark. So if you've been caring for the ark, what do you know? Now, first of all, I don't want it to fall. I don't want you to miss this, that David's about to do something epic. He's bringing the manifest presence of the living God into Jerusalem, the city of God, for the first time in history. For the first time in history, and he's foreshadowing what is to come in the new Jerusalem. Where Jesus Christ will be enthroned right there on the what? On the throne of David. Because this represents the presence of God. And it represents all of the glory of God. Even as Jesus Christ represented the presence of God in all of his glory. Isn't that what the New Testament says? And so he's there doing this. And he has this huge idea for a celebration, great idea. Where does it go wrong? Well, he brings these young guys with him. I don't know if they're young guys. I call them young guys. But they've been caring for the ark. And when you care for something, it's kind of like growing up in the church. You ever meet someone or maybe you've grown up in the church and you take God for granted? It's easy to take things for granted that are familiar to you. And so it's called the trap of familiarity. What do I mean by that? Where it becomes old hat. It becomes something that you do all the time. So it loses its special quality. You know, a marriage can become that way. A relationship with your pastor can become that way. Where you lose respect for someone. And you see him just as Chris rather than the shepherd that God has put there. For as long as he needs him. When God's done with me. He moves me. I'm not saying. We can't be friends. But at the end of the day. I'm your pastor. That's important. Because here. These young men. I believe they got too familiar with God. Think about it. They have the. They have the Ark of the Covenant in their town, maybe even in their house. I don't know, in their tent. I don't know where they had it, how it was. God doesn't detail all of that. But don't you find it interesting that they say, yeah, let's put it on a cart. Where did they get the idea of putting it on a cart? And let me ask you this. How did they get it onto the cart? You're going to see what happens in a minute. So it was a great idea. Watch this. Verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor, so they were going along, it's not long before they hit a threshing floor. And a threshing floor is very uneven actually getting down in there. And as they're going down in this rocky place because this part of Jerusalem is much like the hill country of Austin, Central Texas, South Texas. So you can imagine all the limestone and going on a cart and how this thing is rocking back and forth on these oxen. And they get to that and it's rocking back and forth. And Uzzah, one of the young men, he reached out and he took hold of the ark of God because the oxen was stumbling, right? And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died beside the ark of God. You say, Oh Lord, I'm glad I don't live in the Old Testament anymore. Lord, we want the manifest presence of God like it did, like it came down in the New Testament. Gracious and kind, patient and super loving. Yeah, like Ananias and Sapphira. Patient and loving, but true and righteous. You go. Some of you are saying, I don't know who Ananias and Sapphira is. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit falls and anoints the church. And the church starts up for the very first time in the book of Acts. And these miraculous things are happening because there was the manifest presence of God. And we as church people, we pray for that again, do you not? Don't you long for the manifest presence of God again that you might see signs and wonders, that we might see God move in the supernatural? I believe a time is coming. Now, I don't know if it's gonna be the same way, but I do know as the times get darker and we get closer, And the soul harvest revival begins. The true manifest presence of God is going to fall on the church and there will be songs and there will be worship and there will be authenticity and sincerity. But these two people came into the presence of God and they lied and they lied so casually that God struck them dead. Struck them dead. That's what we pray for. I'm not going to hit that because I could say, be careful what you pray for. But I think it's a good thing to pray for. Not that people be struck dead, but that God would show up and that we alter. Listen, that we alter how we are. Because how we are may not be what conducive to the presence of God. And so, Lord, let what? Let you be true. Let you come and change my heart. Let me not change you, Lord. Because at the end of the day, we don't change God. Instead, we miss his presence. We miss his presence. Now, there's so much to unpack there. But, but, but just stay with me on this. Now, what was Uzzah thinking? At what point, if you've been carried for the ark and you know you're not supposed to touch it, think about this with me. He may not have known you can't put it on a cart, but how did he get on the cart in the first place? Well, remember I shared with you that 70 years prior, the who put it on a cart? The Philistines put it on a cart. Can I tell you something? When we look to the world to get our P's and Q's on how we should act, we're doing the same thing. That's where they went wrong. In 1 first, in first Chronicles chapter 13, you'll see in and, and chapter 15 and 16, you'll see something interesting. The Bible says they did not inquire of the Lord when they decided to put it on a cart. That's, your, that's the problem. Listen to me, worship leaders. Listen to me, creatives. Listen to me, those that want to give God glory. When you look to the world to get inspiration, you're looking in the wrong direction. Those of you who want to bless marriage, don't look to the world. Look to God's word. Those of you who want to do something special for God, don't look to the world. Those of you who want to invite the manifest presence of God to move in your life, don't look to the world. You'll always get the wrong answer. Inquire of the Lord and see what He wants, and He'll lead you. He's been leading David all along. But David, in his haste, got so excited that he let these two young men who were priests put it on a cart. Now, how did they get it on a cart without touching it? With the poles. So they got the poles, put it on the cart. Or some poles, because at some point they they couldn't have touched it. They put it on the cart. At what point does this young man go, oh, no, I messed up? This thing's about to fall. I should never have done this. What am I saying? Thank you. At what point do you think he maybe thought, I got to take it for the team? I don't know, I'm just, the Bible doesn't give us enough. But I'm thinking how I would think in my heart. Because sometimes you, you go so hastily, and you're like, let's just do it. Yeah, it's a big celebration. And then you realize, oh no, this was not right. I should not have put it on the cart. It looks like it's gonna fall. And if it falls, the Lord's anger might spill over onto all of these people. I cannot let it fall. But if I touch it. I'm just giving you a for instance. All I know is he touched it. And he fell dead. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. Why you got to be so rude God? God. Don't you know I'm human too? So David is angry. Now, many scholars, they, 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 they struggle or they, they debate, was David angry with God or was David angry with himself? Let's go from both angles. How many of us have ever been angry with God? Later to find out that it was us, and we go to being angry with us. But either way, the enemy's trying to keep you from the presence of God. Because if you're angry with God, you'll step back away from him. If you're angry with yourself and you don't feel worthy, then you're going to feel shame and rejection and step away either way. And so we need to be careful with this because David is angry with God. How many times have we gotten angry with God over some tragedy? Imagine that you walk, you come across a horrible accident where a Toyota truck has been completely demolished. Let's not use truck, let's use uh, SUV. Because I, I drive a truck. so <laughs> and, and, and you see that the, that the driver did something horribly irresponsible. Do you blame Toyota or do you blame the driver? But yet sometimes we blame God. Saying, Lord, you're the manufacturer of this world. So you're responsible for it. And God said, no, I made it perfect. Your sin made it this way. And so we get angry with God. Some of us get angry with ourselves. And either way, we go, Lord, why do you got to be so rude? So David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Isn't that what he's saying? He said, Lord, you know what? You're too too evil. You're too big. You're too not evil. You're too good. You're too good. I, I misspoke. You're too good. Your requirements are too high. I feel unworthy. Maybe he felt guilty that he put Uzzah in that position as the leader. Because one thing you do find of David, he always takes responsibility. So maybe he was angry with himself. Now he's afraid of, the, of God. And he says, I, I don't want the ark. Now, the ark goes to a man's home by the name of Obed-Edom. How did it get to Obed-Edom's house? I'm sure they carried it there now. The Bible says that he is a What? a Gittite and he's a Gittite means he's a Levite. If you do the history, he's a Levite. And so what happens? Do you say, I need the nearest Levite quick. Who lives closest to this spot? Obed-Edom says, I do. They take it to his house. Now this is where we end the blessing of the Lord. So David is afraid of the blessing of the Lord. Can I tell you, many times we get afraid of the blessing of the Lord because God requires us to worship him in spirit and truth. But I'd rather worship him how, how it's convenient, Pastor, then we're not going to see the manifest, the manifest blessing of his presence if we, if we worship him the way we want to worship him. Instead of worshiping him in spirit and truth the way God's word declares we should. So this is where we finish. Real quick. The blessing of the Lord falls on Obed-Edom's house. Next week I'm going to cover Obed-Edom. But I want to share a couple of things with you. Do you know it was only there three months and yet it blessed his entire house and it blessed from generation to generation? I can show you in God's word how it talks about Obed-Edom's posterity, how Obed-Edom's legacy. And people say, man, he started having children like crazy, and that's where the blessing must have taken place. But if you read God's word, it said it blessed all facets of his life, all facets of his household. It blessed so much that those in Jerusalem started to see. Can I tell you, God wants to bless you in a way where others take notice. You don't have to be scared of God's blessing. You don't have to feel shameful. You don't have to feel like you're disqualified. You don't have to do any of those things. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to worship you based on your truth, based on your word, based on the guidance of your spirit. I want to be right with you, Lord. Something similar takes place with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel go to worship God. One does it right, one does it wrong. The one that does it wrong gets all sad-faced in God's presence. Do you know it's wrong to look ugly in God's presence? And I'm not talking about the face he gave you. I'm talking about looking sad. It's wrong to come into God's presence looking downcast. Now you say, well, Pastor... There's times where people come into God's presence looking sad because they have a need. But not because you're having a pity party. Because God looks at Cain and says, why are you in my presence looking downcast? And he says something really, really interesting. He says, if you do right, will you not also be accepted and so God is telling David, if you do right, you'll get these blessings too. So after three months, he's sitting back looking at this, at this man getting his socks blessed off. He says, you know what? We need to go get the ark, but this time I need the priest to gather up, look in God's word, tell me how we're supposed to get it. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. He goes and does it in God's way. Now, now I'm going to give you a hint from the very end of next week, all right? Because I want you to practice it this week in preparation for next week. You ready? This is what the Bible says. In First Chronicles 16, he says, so they brought the ark of God. They did it the right way. We'll talk about it all next week. And they set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And they offered burnt offerings, which David... Played the part he could play. We'll talk about it next week. But David erected this tabernacle. Now, he wrote some psalms that remind me of him and the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? Now, stay with me on this. I will dwell. No, I long to dwell in your tent forever. To take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Do not lose attention right now. Look at this. I long to dwell in your tent forever and to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Could he be talking about the ark and the manifest presence of God? Remember, David brings it the right way into the tent he prepared. Solomon builds the temple after David's dead. But in the meantime, it's sitting right there in a tent that he prepared. And he says, I long to dwell. Watch what else he says. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house. Watch this. Than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. You go, but, but pastor, can this be? Can this be? Well, I'm going to show you how Moses who, uh, and how Joshua got to be in the presence of the ark. Maybe they didn't minister in the presence, but they got to be in the presence. And watch what else David says. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Here he is again. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 63. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will what? You go, oh, pastor, that, it's a known fact that those were written about his time when he was running from Saul. What I, any musicians in the room? When you write a song, you don't always just write it. Because I've heard a lot of songwriters say, you don't always just write it in one day. Sometimes it's years. And what if you're running from Saul and you didn't even have time to get your own sword? You think you brought your pen and paper to write songs? Or do you think it was happening up here and in here? Think about this with me. It was happening up here and in here. Okay, if it's happening up here and in here, Then maybe in a time of peace, when things are settling down and the ark is home and everything is starting to get in place, you start remembering back. And you start writing. But maybe you also go down to that that tent where the ark is. And maybe on the backside of that tent where the holiest of holiest would be. Or the closest you can get to that ark. And there in Jerusalem, in the city of God, when the sun is going down and the shadow casts on the mercy seat and falls on you, you sit and you start worshiping God to the Psalms that you've had in your heart for some time. And maybe it's in that moment that you write, I find refuge in the shadow of your wings. I write find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Oh, live this with me. You say, oh, pastor, you're going too far. Why? Because I'm I'm imagining that David wanted to be in the presence of God. That's what my Bible tells me over and over and over. That David wanted to be in the presence of God. And so there, when he has the ark home, finally, because that was, no one else cared about getting the ark home. David brought it home. And he puts it there, and he's in the the presence of God, finalizing his psalms, his songs, saying, Lord, I find refuge in your presence. Would you pray this week? Pray saying, Lord, I just want to find refuge in your presence. I want to find help in your presence. More than anything else, I want your presence. And I know, Lord, that it's because of your gift of grace and mercy through your son Jesus that I am welcomed into your presence. So thank you, Lord. And as I pray this week, as I pray this week, lead me by your spirit and by your truth.
1: In Jesus' name
0: in Jesus name we say thank you if the altar's where you amen i love you church have a great week need is just frame it's right here my life is here and now be up.